Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from John's epistle, the first one, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Hear with me now the words of the Lord in these 14 verses. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed us his love amongst us. He sent this one and only son into the world and that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and that he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, his love is made complete amongst us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment because in the world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone does not love his brother whom he is not, who has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must love his brother and his sister. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we give you thanks for this beautiful day. We give you thanks for the opportunity to gather together in worship, both in person and in a virtual space. Because we know that where two or three are gathered, that your spirit dwells amongst us. So while your spirit is poured out over this congregation, wherever it may find itself, may it open our ears, open our eyes, open our very lives, that we would know, see, and hear your love for us. But in that moment, O oh Lord, transform our lives. Change our hearts so that we would leave this time of worship and that we would go forth, not as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. 
One of the things that I love about springtime is just as watching as all of creation bursts forth is also sort of this phenomenon what we see, we know it to be true, that love truly is the, in the air. I mean, we see this on Facebook, on Instagram, where couples are finally going outside and having pictures made with all of creation, declaring their love for all the world to see. And of course, what we'll find later is we'll see pictures of proms and graduations, love of families and friends. But right now, that's what we see. We see the wedding industry beginning to get back into business. I mean, May and June are the busiest months in their world. I mean, it's begun here at the church. By last count, I think there are nine weddings here in the sanctuary this year, which bucks a trend of off-site, off-campus weddings. But in addition to that, there are three or four other families in our church that will be having weddings, not here in the church, but somewhere else this year. Truly, love is in the air. The world seems to be caught up with this whole idea of love, almost obsessed with it, if you will. I mean, for example, there are 17 reality TV shows based on the idea of love and romance. That 18.8%, did you know this? 18.8% of all books sold in the U.S. are romance novels. 51.1 million Americans read these books every year. There are, at the last count, 500 plus dating applications. So if you're looking for love, there's something out there for you. Not to mention all the romance comedies, all the Hallmark romance holiday movies that sort of mash together. It seems as if all of the world is just looking and desiring for this idea of love. And maybe just maybe as we look for it, we're looking sometimes in all the wrong places. I mean, we get caught up with this idea of these things of love like romance or family love. But maybe what we really need to do is to delve down deep into this idea of love and realize that it has roots right here in what John was writing about today. That it has roots, his idea of love is a self-emptying divine love, what the Greeks called agape love. Maybe that's the love that we need to rediscover and anchor our hearts in because when we do that, that becomes the foundation of all other types of love in the world around us. And this is precisely what John was talking about in the text this morning. He was talking about that to the early church. He wanted them to understand truly who God is and what God is about. I mean, in 14 verses, how many times did we hear the word love? And usually about every third verse, it was something like this. God is love. God is love. I mean, there's 14 verses. If we really want to understand romantic love or familiar love or hospitality or self-love, we've really got to understand divine love, don't we? We must understand love from God's perspective, what God really hoped for the world, what love looks like from God's practice of it. Because this kind of love is the foundation of all of our relationships whether it's with spouses, with children, with family members, with neighbors, with coworkers, this idea of divine love is the foundation of it all for us. I mean, we hear in the scripture that the greatest of these, of faith, hope, and love is love. One of the reasons why that's the greatest is because it's the one manifestation of these spiritual ideals that we can actually see in practice. I mean, think about it. We say, well, you just gotta have faith. And people say, well, how? 
And we've got ideas of how we can have faith, or you've got to have hope. How? But when we say love, we can start to really talk about some tangible things with that, can't we? So in these 14 verses, we'll begin to understand that John writing to the church about love, he's talking about love expressed in Jesus. A love that sacrifices. A love that serves. Now what's interesting is we practice that kind of love in our lives. There are really two miracles that happen. The first miracle is that we are drawn closer to God. When we practice that sacrificial servant kind of love, a love expressed in Jesus, we ourselves are drawn closer to God because we realize God is love and how much God loves us. But here's the other part, the other miracle. The world that is looking for love begins to see love, begins to see God's love for that, for the world through us, through the way we live. We begin to be God's ambassadors. I mean, John reminds us that the love that we are talking about is expressed in Jesus. He talks about how Jesus was, I mean, was an atoning sacrifice how he came to save us from our sins, how God sent his son to us. I mean, this we know, but we need to be reminded of it often, that he was born for this purpose, to show us a better way, to save us from our sins. So Christ's example of love flows directly from God. Think about the words that he taught us, that we are to turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, that when he gave the Beatitudes at the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are you, remember all of those Beatitudes, that no one was left out. And no matter who you were in that text, there's a blessing for you. There's a blessing for all the world. Jesus had hard conversations with love. I think about that conversation he had with the rich young man. He said, Lord, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus sat him down and he had the hard conversation because Jesus knew his heart. He knew the man loved his stuff. He loved his status. He loved his wealth more than he loved the world. And Jesus said, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to know God, you've got to sell all your possessions. This was not the news the man wanted to hear, but Jesus had it with him, not in a way that scolded him or wagged his finger at him, but he had it in a way to try to help him see that his priorities were mixed up. My friends, those kinds of tough love conversations, that's divine love. To help someone that you care so deeply about see where they have run afoul of the world or of a relationship. See, Christ lived, he taught, he challenges us to open our eyes, to be more holistic in the way that we live and the way that we love the world. And that challenge becomes something for us to really delve into even deeper. And so as we take that, we begin to understand that this idea of divine love is rooted in sacrifice. It's rooted in Christ's sacrifice for us. I mean, we think about this idea of sacrifice, and we might say turn to, you know, O. Henry's gift of the Magi. You remember that story where there's this young couple that can't rub two pennies together to save their lives. And so Christmas comes, and she has this flowing hair, and he's got this watch that was his grandfather's, which he's really embarrassed to use because he doesn't have a good fob for it. 
And so unbeknownst to the others, she sells her hair to buy him a fob. Unbeknownst to her, he sells the watch to buy these beautiful combs for her hair. And Christmas Day comes and they open the gifts and they have sacrificed the thing they cared about most for the love of the other, to give them this gift. But Christ's sacrifice calls us to go even deeper than that. This idea of sacrificial love talks about emptying ourselves for the sake of the world. Heinrich Goldschmidt, he knew this. He was a doctor in Warsaw in 1940. He ran an orphanage for Jewish children. And so when the Germans occupied Poland and they began to move the Jews into ghettos, they wanted to move his orphanage. And so he knew that it was coming and he had folks in the underground that said, we can get you out of the country. And he says, no, I will stay with my children. I don't want them to be scared. And so they moved the orphanage. And then sometime later, the Germans came to clear out the ghetto. And again, someone said, you're a famous author. We can get you out of the country. And he says, no, I will walk with my children so they won't be scared. And so with that, they marched out of the ghetto in their best clothes, carrying a favorite toy or a favorite book with him in the lead because he wanted his children to not be scared. When they got to the camps... The Germans realized who they had, and they, one of the guards pulled them aside and said, we can give you preferential truth. We might even be able to get you out of this. And he said, no, I will stay with my children because I don't want them to be scared. We know the rest of the story, that he died in that camp with his children, but he did it because... He didn't want them to be scared. This is that agape love, this self-emptying where he's willing to give all of ourselves for the sake of the world, to give all of ourselves to show the world how much it is loved. And so as we think about what John writes in here, that we know that God is love and we try to figure out how we practice that love so that all the world might see it, we have to ask ourselves these questions. Maybe these are the questions we need to wrestle with this week on an index card somewhere, is how do we sacrifice? How do we sacrifice? Do we put others first and foremost? I don't mean as a token, but I mean really put them first. What do we sacrifice? Do we really truly give a holistically of our time, of our resources, to make the world a better place for all of God's children? Where do we sacrifice? Where in the course of our daily lives, if you lay your daytimer out in front of you, where in the course of our daily lives do we sacrifice? See, I think if we spend time with these three questions this week, if we write them down, if we write down what we think the answers are, and if we pray over them, I don't mean just like token prayer, I mean pray almost to the point of sweating blood. If we pray over them, the answers will unfold, and that deep impact that we understand from those answers, we will begin to see how we affect the world around us. See, Heinrich Goldschmidt understood that. He understood that he needed to sacrifice for the sake of making sure his children knew that they were loved and not forgotten that they mattered so that they wouldn't be scared. But here's the thing. Not only those children know this, but everyone along that journey saw his story. So much so that the neighbors that were left behind, they remembered that story. So much so that there are plaques to him along the streets of Warsaw, where that orphanage was. 
because they were a testament to one man's sacrificial love for the sake of the world. Will anyone erect a plaque? Will it make that much of a difference in the lives of anyone that we touch this week? Will we sacrifice for the sake of love for those around us? But the love that we seek, this divine love, is not just a love of sacrifice, but it's one that which serves. In just a few minutes, we're going to come to the table and we're going to share in the holy meal. You have in your hand right now, you have that cup, that piece of bread, you have that. But think about that night. Yes, it was about sacrifice, bread and wine for body and blood, but it was also a night about service. I mean, think about that night when Jesus brings the disciples into the room. First, it's his night of hospitality. He is the host of the meal. But then he goes one step further. Remember, they came in the room and he began to wash their feet. I mean, you talk about an act of servanthood then. But even now, this whole idea of foot washing, because that is still just as dirty for us, just as cringy as it was then, but yet Jesus did it. And then after that, Jesus actually served the meal. He broke the bread and he passed it. He lifted the cup and he shared it. So Jesus, the one who walks on water, Jesus, the one who turns water into wine, Jesus who fed 5,000, Jesus who healed the sick, shouldn't he be the guest of honor? Shouldn't he sit at the head of the table where everybody comes and goes, oh, Jesus, you are awesome. But instead, Jesus says, let me serve you. He functions as a host. He functions as a servant because he loves his disciples and he wants them to know this message of servanthood. And so by the virtue of his example, when we come to the table, my friends, we are called. No, called is too short of a word. It is a mandate for us to serve the world. That we receive that cup of bread and juice, that we are mandated to go forth from this place, from this hour of worship, and we are mandated to serve the world around us. Which then leads these questions to me. How often do we do that? How often do we serve the people around us? I mean, Christ-like serving. I don't mean just serving. I mean Christ-like serving, where we serve people not as customers, but as children of God. We see them as people, not as a number, not as a transactional relationship, but truly as individuals. Not as an inconvenience on our day where it causes us to have to do something. I mean, nothing drives me worse than to be sitting there walking into a store and you can see the clerk just annoyed that they have to get off the, the stool to talk to me. And that's just me. But I ask myself, when am I like that? When do we serve people not like us? They come from different parts of the world, different shades, different skin tones, different cultures. When do we serve people that are not like us, people that are God's children that we may or may not have seen in time, people that don't dress like us, they don't work where we work, they work in different parts of our city. When do we serve them? When do we serve people in ways that they don't expect? I mean, think about foot washing. The disciples coming, they knew they were coming for a meal. They knew that Jesus was the host. But I know, I can guarantee you, not a one of them expected him to wash their feet. 
When do we serve with that kind of a servant's heart where we serve people in a way that they had no idea, had no expectation that we would serve them that way? Because my brothers and sisters, when we serve that simply, when we serve things like that, love begins to break out all around us because people begin to notice that we care about them. They begin to notice that nothing is beneath us, specifically taking care of them, lifting them up, loving them. So I think back to what I shared with you earlier. I think about all those statistics. The world is truly looking for love. They're looking for, maybe sometimes they're looking to escape the reality of their lives and hoping to see love in someone else's. But the reality is they're looking in all the wrong places because my brothers and sisters, love is right here. It is in this place. Love is right here where you are. It's right here in your homes where you are worshiping. Love is right where you are. Because God's love is given to us. John said that to us. He wrote that God is love, and anyone who knows God, truly knows God, knows love, and anyone who truly loves knows God, that God is in their heart. That is right where we are, this deep divine love, and it calls us, that divine love calls you and I to love the world more deeply, more richly, more Christ-like. It calls us to love the world like God loves the world. To give of ourselves to love the world. To serve the world so that it might see Christ through us. See, when we come to the table, we receive a gift. But the thank you note that we write for that gift is how we go forth and write that letter of love and show the world that God is love through us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.